Uh, speaking of seven-game series, as you open your Bible to John chapter 20, if you can find John chapter 20, uh, you'll be with me. But speaking of seven-game series, uh, the question this morning isn't just uh, Twix or Snickers or um, hoops or baseball, but the question is uh, Christmas, Christmas or Easter, Christmas or Easter. And I'm going to answer this one for you because everybody knows that Christmas is wonderful, right? Our whole world loves Christmas, and they love everything about Christmas, and they've, they've transformed it into the, you know, the greatest shopping season of the year, and there's all kinds of stuff that goes with Christmas, from lights on the house to presents under the tree to stories about uh, chubby guys in the chimney. I mean, there's a lot going on at Christmas, and everybody loves Christmas. And even the, the story that Christianity has behind Christmas, the story about a baby in a manger, nobody hates that story. Everybody likes that story. It's, there, there's no threat there. That's an easy story for everybody to kind of go, oh, that's cute. Babies are cute. They, you know, they didn't have a home, and you can have a cartoon about it, and it doesn't really demand anything of you. And... And so everybody likes Christmas, but I'm here to tell you this morning that for Christians, Easter wins in a seven-game series four to zero. And that's not to tell you there's, there's something unimportant about Christmas. Christmas is important. Christmas is crucial. It's the celebration of, of God becoming man, of, of Jesus taking on flesh, the eternal God walking among us, growing up, being a sixth grader and a seventh grader, just like you are, but without sin. I mean, that's an amazing and important story. But apart from Easter, we've got nothing. We've got nothing if we don't have Easter. And so Resurrection Sunday is the most important and holy and awesome celebration in the entire year for Christians. This is the best day ever. This is the day that defines what it means to be a Christian. This is the day where even the stuff surrounding it, celebrations of spring and bunnies and eggs and peeps and everything else, all pale in comparison to the real meaning of Easter, of resurrection, which is that Jesus did not stay dead. And that's the story I want to talk to you about today. In John chapter 20, if you found John chapter 20, you'll see where we'll be together today. And it's, we could have picked any one of these four stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. They all tell the same story from different angles. But I like John's story because he was so up close in this moment. One of the eyewitnesses of this thing, along with Peter and these ladies, they're always mentioned together in these four stories, but this one is maybe my very favorite. And so let me start by reading it to you, and then I want to note some unusual details, okay? Let's look at it. John chapter 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. Well, it was still dark outside and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. John 20, verse 2. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's what John likes to call himself, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. 
So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that Jesus must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept. She stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Heavenly Father, help us to understand your word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear how awesome the resurrection of Jesus is, how important it is to our faith, Help us to see why this is such a happy day for Christians. In your name, amen. Unusual details abound all over the Bible, but in this story, there's especially interesting details. And every good storyteller, every good storyteller packs some some details into their stories and puts them kind of like Easter eggs, hidden in the story for for very careful readers or listeners to see. This is true in all well-told stories. It's true in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It is. You can Google it up. There's all kinds of like hidden stuff in the background. There's uh, on, on, in the homecoming, the Spider-Man homecoming, there's a, a freeway sign talking about construction that, that refers back to uh, the Captain America movie. And, and there's all these like little hidden things in every movie that's, that, that the, the people who made those stories put in there kind of as a treat if you, if you know a lot about that stuff. And I don't know a lot about that stuff, but I know people who do. And there's all these like hidden details and interesting facts and 
uh, Thor is putting eye drops in his eye, and, and I think it's an endgame, and he, he just puts it in one eye because the, the, the careful watchers know that one of his eyes is a weird robot eye, that, that kind of stuff. Little details that are worth noticing. Well, every good storyteller puts interesting details that are worth noticing into their stories. And John chapter 20 has at least three details I'd like you to see. Three unusual parts of the story that are interesting and that are important. And I want to draw out for you so you can understand why Resurrection Sunday, why Easter is so worth celebrating, why it's so important to our faith and why it should matter in your life. So what's the first one? You, you heard the story. I read it for you. What's the first kind of strange detail that I see in this passage? Well, if you get out your magnifying glass and you compare it to the other passages, this one starts with something kind of odd. It starts with a foot race. A foot race. Did you notice it? That two disciples, look, look at this in, in verse 3. So after Mary goes to the tomb early, and from the other Gospels, we know she wasn't alone. And and John's not saying she was alone because she says in verse 2, we do not know where they've laid him. And so after the ladies go to visit the tomb in the early morning, dark hours, the disciples make their way there. Just these two disciples, Peter and, and John, are traveling together. But pretty soon, they're not traveling together in verse 4. They're going to the tomb in verse 3, but look at verse 4. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. What a funny detail. There's a little bit of a race going on here. And one disciple, John, is faster than the other disciple, Peter, and he gets there first. Now, what a strange thing to say. I mean, there's something really important happening here. The body of Jesus is missing. He had just died, their teacher, their friend, their master, the the one who had transformed their lives as they followed him all through these last three years. And here John is telling us, yeah, I beat Peter in a race. Isn't that a strange thing to say? Now, there's lots of reasons for that. Could have been that Peter's a little chubby. It's obvious that John is faster, was faster on that day. If you know a little bit about about Christian history, Peter was likely quite a bit older than John. John, Peter will be martyred uh, not too many years later, and he's older when that happens. But John lives for a long time to write the book of Revelation. He's probably in his 90s when he finally dies. So likely Peter is maybe my age. You know, he's got, he's got a wife. He's got a mother-in-law. We know that. And, and John is probably a young guy. It's like me and, and Ryan Bennett. You know, who would win in a race? Well, an arm wrestling race, Ryan would win. But a regular foot race, I no, Ryan would win all the races because he's a superior athlete. Look at him. Look at him. Superior athlete. He's fast. You just can tell he's fast. And so if he and I were going to run over to, I don't know, uh, in and out <laughs> it's a good place to run, and we just said, ready, set, go, Ryan would get there first because of several reasons I'm not going to go into mostly because he's in his prime. Well, so Peter, likewise, is not as fast as John. 
And so they tell this story because I think it's obvious, but there's also a lot of history with these two guys. They're always together. They're always doing stuff. They're, they're at the, the Last Supper together. They're, they're leaning one on each side of Jesus. Uh, sometimes they're walking together, arguing together as disciples. And after Jesus goes up to heaven, after he ascends to heaven, uh, after his resurrection, Peter and John are the big-time preachers in the book of Acts. And they're, they're partners and they're buddies and they're friends. And so this detail just really links them together in one more unique story. But I don't think that's why it's so important. The foot race is important because it shows us that John is concerned to tell you what actually and absolutely happened. The foot race is factual. The foot race is factual. In other words, it's exactly accurate. It's totally true. It's not something he's making up. And this is why this detail is in there and why it's so important. Let me give you an example, okay? Let's say that you're going camping with your family. You're in the woods. And you and your brother or your sister are walking around, you know, the campgrounds, not, not too far, not too scary. You're not like deep in the woods. It's daytime, not night. This isn't that kind of story. And you hear a sound, okay? A really unusual sound. A sound like a, a hundred snacking things. Sort of like the sound when you're preaching in junior high and everybody's having fun dip. You hear a sound like that, kind of. Kind of a sound like that. Sort of a sound like that. Anyway, sound like that. So, so that kind of sound. Some munching or something. And so you and your, your little brother or your sister walk over to the, the, towards the sound and there's a little clearing of trees and you see an entire family of Sasquatch. Beautiful, majestic Sasquatch having some fun dip and a donut and some starburst. And so you slowly back up. Some of you probably, you know, because of your love for candy, get in the mix with the Sasquatch. But most of you, I think, will wisely slowly back up and you would run as fast as you can to tell your parents. There's a family of Sasquatch having snacks that junior hires would like. They were making sounds. We found them. I doubt you would put in the detail of who got there first, unless that actually happened. I mean, you don't put that detail in when this is a story about someone who was killed violently, who everyone loved and adored among the disciples, and who the the religious leaders hated and, and conspired against. The big story here is all about Jesus rising from the dead. And the only way you give that strange little detail about like, we were both running, and then Peter got slow, John got there, he stopped, he stooped in, he didn't go in the tomb, but he saw the, the grave clothes. And then finally, when, when, John ca- when Peter caught up, Peter gets there, and Peter doesn't even slow down at all, because that's kind of the personality Peter has. He just walks right into the tomb. John wasn't willing to do that, so Peter went in first, and, and then went in and saw it was empty and came out, and then they're having this big discussion. The reason he puts the foot race detail in isn't to say, like, I am so much faster than that guy. 
He's saying it because he wants you to understand this is exactly what happened. I'm telling you the absolute truth about this story. Every detail of it is a fact. You see, the resurrection isn't something that symbolizes something else. The resurrection isn't like a really important but not very true story that warms our hearts like the Easter bunny or Santa Claus or something like that. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave is absolutely true and absolutely central to our faith. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 2. This is what he said. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, another name for Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died, and then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me. Do you see that? that when Paul's talking about the resurrection, he insists that it's true. You see, these aren't stories made up by your parents or your grandparents. This isn't in the category of of tooth fairy stuff. This isn't a legend. This isn't a, a really great story that somebody made up. This is actual history. And if it isn't, There is no point in us being here. There's no point in getting dressed up on Easter Sunday. There's no point in getting up early and and getting everybody ready on Sunday morning. But if this is true, everything changes. And so little details like the foot race remind us that the story of the resurrection is absolutely factual. The details there remind us that these guys aren't making stuff up They saw it, they lived it, they wrote it down, and they believed it so much that they were willing to die for it. I mean, if you believed something, really, truly believed it, you would die for it if it was important to you. But if it was something that wasn't important and that you had made up, I suspect you would fold under pressure. And you would say, "Eh, you know, I was just messing around. That's not what the disciples of Jesus did. They preached that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose from the grave and they insisted it was true. And sometimes they were put in jail and sometimes they were beaten and sometimes their heads were cut off and sometimes they were crucified. They must have genuinely believed that it actually happened. Paul goes on to, say to the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus isn't raised, then our faith is in vain. It's worthless. It's useless. The foot race reminds us that it's factual. Second weird detail, okay? If the first weird detail is the foot race means that the resurrection is a fact, the second interesting detail is that thing about the face cloth. The face cloth Hmm, what does it mean, the face cloth? It's right after the the 
part we just looked at. Look at it there. Verse 5, starting, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Peter shows up, definitely wheezing and out of breath, following him. And, and Peter just goes right into the tomb, gets down, crawls in there, checks it out. He saw a linen, the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. I mean, that's a lot of details about fabric, right? The bigger story here is Jesus isn't in there. Like his body is missing. Something happened to the Lord's body, but they zoom in on these, another unusual feature, the face cloth. Why? Well, I think that he's showing us something about the resurrection. You know, writing all these years later after it happened when he wrote the Gospel of John, he he puts this in there because looking back on it, he sees how important it was. And and really it has to do with the, the way he's telling his story in the Gospel of John. Because this isn't the only time he's talked about grave clothes. You know that? There's another place. Another resurrection, actually, earlier in John's gospel. Jesus was there. John was there. Peter was there. There was a whole crowd of witnesses. And there was grave clothes, these wrappings, like a, sort of like a big blanket that they would put around a, a corpse when someone would die. They would wrap them up, not like the Egyptians did with the strips and the mummy thing, but more of a, a giant kind of blanket-looking situation. Uh, long strips would wrap a person up, uh, uh, mummy-ish, but not, uh, not exactly the same. And we've seen that story before. Do you remember where it was? Do you remember who that guy was? He got raised from the dead. John chapter 11, he had grave clothes on. And Jesus woke him up. You're absolutely right. If I had fun dip, it would be your fun dip. Yeah, just the glory of victory. Good job, buddy. That's right. Lazarus. But Lazarus' resurrection is, is different. Way different. In fact, if you, if you look at the story in John 11, you know what happened? Lazarus has been dead for three days. Jesus purposely delays his, his arrival there so he can show the glory of God in resurrecting his friend Lazarus. Lazarus' sisters are crying because they love his brother, they love their brother. Jesus weeps because the presence of death reminds him of why he came into this world. And then Jesus speaks and says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus obeys Jesus. And he comes kind of out of the tomb in an interesting way. I mean, Jesus says, come out of there. And then verse 44 of chapter 11 of John says, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. The same exact words in uh, John 20, that face cloth thing. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So Jesus makes Lazarus come back alive with his words. 
Lazarus like kind of has to wiggle out of the grave so much so that he's got his face covered and he's all wrapped up in the blanket strip things. And, and Jesus has to tell people who are probably so shocked that their jaw is like, Bang, and they're just like frozen watching this unfold. And so Jesus has to say, go help him. Go like Take the grave stuff off of him. Take off the, the face thing. Go untie him. Nobody had to untie Jesus. Now, is that because Jesus is better at getting out of grave clothes than Lazarus? It's not. Is it that Jesus is like sort of alive and Lazarus is like mostly alive? Like, you know, he was dead and then, you know, Jesus says, wake up and he's like got a bad cough and he's kind of weak and needs to go to the hospital for a little while. No, Lazarus was all the way alive. But when God raised Jesus from the dead, the big difference between Lazarus and Jesus is Lazarus would die again. Not right then, probably years later. But what an experience Lazarus had to be ushered into the presence of God and then to be called back to this world and then to live the rest of his life knowing that someday he'd have that experience of dying again. You see, when Jesus died, it was different because his death was final and it destroyed death forever and for everyone who would trust in him. Jesus didn't get just his old body back. Lazarus did. So if Lazarus had a weird mark on his lip, like Josh Petrus did that that picture day, when Lazarus got resurrected, weird mark on his lip still there. He got just his natural life back, only to, to get old and eventually get sick and get wrinkles and die again. Jesus, not so much so. And I think John tells us about the face cloth to show us that Jesus had a different kind of resurrected body, a new kind of body, a body that would last forever, a body that God got ready for him, a glorified body, the same kind of body that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15 that you and I will have when we get raised from the dead. Jesus walks through walls after his resurrection to appear to his disciples. He does physical stuff too. He eats fish. He, he touches people. He's about to have a big hug. I mean, all this stuff he can do, but he also has something about his physical body that's made for eternity so that his body can be here on earth and then suddenly raise up into the sky and disappear off into heaven. There's something special about the resurrection body of Jesus that reminds us that he came out of those grave clothes and then apparently took off that face cloth and folded it up and set it aside because Lazarus would get wrapped up again. Jesus would never be in a grave again. He would never die again. 
and everyone who follows Jesus will also only die once and then never die again because you will be raised to eternal life just like Jesus was raised. This is what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians 4.14 when he said, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. The reason Easter is so important, my junior high friends, the reason Easter is so important is Easter means that someday there'll be no more funerals, no more memorial services, no more children's hospitals, no more gravestones and grave markers and and coffins and cancer and car wrecks and uh, devastating news and heartbreaking separation when someone we love so much dies. That is all going away because Jesus defeated death forever so that you can look at death and not be afraid. When you trust in Jesus, you join with Jesus. When you have faith in Jesus, you become together with Jesus, someone who's going to experience the forgiveness he purchased you at the cross so you can be in God's presence and be washed clean of all your sin and you get the same body that Jesus had, a body suited for all eternity, a body where you can explore the joys and wonders of heaven extol and worship Jesus for all eternity and never get creaky knees or balding heads or all the things we have in this world as we get older and slower and wrinklier. He's going to make you brand new so that you'll never die again just like he did for Jesus. That, I think, is what the face cloth is all about. He didn't have to wiggle out. He was a whole new kind of alive. And you will be Third, interesting and unusual detail is the the funny hugs. It's called the funny hugs. Funny hugs. Is it okay? Can I call it funny hugs? The foot race, the face cloth, the funny hugs. It's hard to think of the words that go together, so I went with funny hugs. What is this funny hugs? Well, look at it. It's actually one of the most misunderstood paragraphs in the entire Gospel of John. I remember hearing somebody preach on this when I was a kid out of a a King James Bible, the old school one that reads like Shakespeare. And in that Bible, uh, they read this passage and, and Jesus says in the old school English, clingeth to me not, woman, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Clingeth to me not, woman, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And they came up, the preacher came up with all kinds of weird stuff about what that meant because of Jesus' body not being able to be clinged to and like not fully being ascended. Just a bunch of weird stuff. But this isn't a weird scene at all. It's a funny, beautiful, worshipful, hugging kind of scene. And you got to really see what it was like. I want to show it to you because it's, it's really one of my favorite and most touching and beautiful pictures in all the gospel of John. Mary is someone, you guys, Mary is someone who is a big sinner. She had wrecked her life with all kinds of bad choices. Probably started really early in her life when it was your age. She probably came from a really difficult family and a really nasty situation. And, and pretty soon her life would be a total wreck. 
a total wreck until she met Jesus. And Jesus loved her and accepted her and changed her. And she became a follower of Jesus for the rest of her life. Mary Magdalene, people remembered her name as such a a famous sinner until she met Jesus. And she didn't care anymore what people thought of her, but she only cared about what Jesus thought of her. And Jesus loved her. And Jesus brought her into his disciples. And she was one of these, lots of ladies followed Jesus. It wasn't just 12 dudes, but she was one of these, these followers of Jesus. And she loved Jesus. And so when Jesus died, her heart was broken. She loved her rabbi, a word that means teacher. And she called him that teacher. Sometimes she called him Lord. But she loved Jesus because Jesus changed her life. And so when she sees the whole thing, the empty tomb, and, and when she sees the grave clothes like the disciples did, because they, they have taken off, and, and she's there, and no one has seen Jesus yet. No one. Not any of these important disciples. Not, not James, not... Not Andrew, not Peter, not John. None of these people have seen Jesus. But who gets to see Jesus? Mary does. Mary Magdalene, one of his followers. And she doesn't recognize Jesus, probably because his body's not like Lazarus's body. There's something changed about it, something veiled about it, something supernatural and eternal about it. It's the same on the road to Aramaeus when he talks to those guys later and and they don't recognize him. There's some kind of cool thing about Jesus' resurrection body that makes him for a moment unrecognizable at least. And, And so she thinks he works there. Have you ever worn, well, you're you're a kid, so maybe some of you are giant though. So have you ever worn a red shirt at Target? Have you ever made that mistake? I've done that. They do. They think I work there. And I might as well. My wife goes there a lot. And sometimes I go with her. And I don't like Target. But when I accidentally wear a red shirt, I don't wear a lot of red shirts. It's not my color. It makes me look chubby. So when I wear a red shirt at Target, it's happened to me a number of times. Someone will say, where are the bath bombs, sir? Or can you help me find the dishwashing detergent. And I turn around and I say, aisle eight. Because I know the store like the back of my hand. I'm, I'm in deep with Target. So I'm invested in Target. So here's the thing. That's what happened to, to Jesus. Mary just thought, this guy must work here. What'd you do with Jesus's body? Can I, can, can we, got it, we got to get it back. I, I brought spices. We're going to anoint the body. She's brokenhearted. And she just gets confused for a second and says, hey, gardener man, because this is like a, a place where people bury their loved ones. And there would have been, you know, uh, ornaments there and flowers there and, and, and tributes there. And people would come early in the morning to visit the graves of their loved ones, just like people do today. And so she assumes this guy's a worker guy. But when he says her name, something clicks. And that's how it is with our name, isn't it? When someone says, Taylor, or Armando. There's just something about our own name that makes our ears hear it. You can be in a whole crowd of junior hires playing 
octoball, what's it called? Gaga ball, octoball. <laughs> I just invented an awesome camp game. Someone write down octoball. So you could be playing gaga ball, all kind of noise in here, fun dip rappers, like the sound of a thousand waves. And someone says, Grishmelda. I don't know if your name is Grishmelda, but I'm so sorry. And you hear it. You hear it. Among all the noises, it's especially true if it's your mother's voice. You know your mama's voice, especially if he uses your middle name, right? Then you're in trouble. Or your dad's voice or your grandma's voice, or somebody whose voice you've known since you were a baby, or somebody who's so precious to you, your best friend, saying your name, that's what happened when Jesus simply said, Mary, and it clicks. And she goes, Rabbi. And she, according to Matthew with the other women, fall down before him. They wrap up his feet They were worshiping him. They were hugging on him. They were clinging to him. And if Jesus didn't say something, they were never going to let him go. And what was so awesome about this is Jesus doesn't say, toucheth me not. It's a Greek word that means, like, it's, it's this kind of tense that means they won't release him. And so he says, like, stop. I'm not in heaven yet. That's what he's saying. It's this beautiful moment where he's like, I'm here and I'm not leaving right now. It's touching. It's lovely. He's not saying, toucheth me not, because he's like got lasers coming out of his hands or something like that. He's fully alive. And Jesus says, stop grabbing on me because I haven't gone to my father yet, but I will go to my father and your father, to my God, and your God. The reason this detail is given shows the beautiful affection that Jesus has for his disciples. And it shows us that Jesus is doing something in his resurrection to finish our salvation. He says, I go to my father and your father. I will go to my God and your God. Junior hires, look at me. Here's the whole thing, ready? Don't worry about them. They're just high schoolers. They're they're scary. Right here, look at me. What's happening here is Jesus' resurrection is shown to you. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the grave to show you that everything he ever said was true. And if you trust in him, if you believe on Jesus, the one who died in your place and rose from the grave, do you know what that means? That you will be with him forever all your sins forgiven, and heaven is yours forevermore. That's why Easter is so important. Easter in four. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and your son and the glorious resurrection. Help these students to know and love Jesus with all their heart and soul and mind. In your name, amen.